better. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Good morning, church family, and if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, I just want to extend to you a warm welcome. My name is Randy, and it's just my privilege to be the lead minister here at the church. And it's my uh, prayer that very quickly you will feel like uh, just that you have come home. Um, if you are here and you're new, we've got uh, several cards in the pouch in front of you, and uh, we'd love to know if you're new here, um, and if you've got questions or comments that... Uh, uh, you could uh, uh, share with us and we have a card here for you that says I'm new maybe you've been here for several Sundays and you want to know how can I get involved in the rhythm of the life of the church and we've got a card that says next step for you next step for you and so uh, if you'll uh, put your name and contact information we'll follow up on that and then for everyone here at the church we have a prayer card and we pray over these requests every Tuesday morning at our staff meeting and every elders meeting and we would uh, just it would be our privilege to intercede with whatever requests or encouragements that you happen to have and so uh, we've got a card there for you as well and I'll be in a room called the fireside room it's through these glass doors and to the right and uh, we'd love to meet you and have some face time with you after services and uh, just to, uh, just to, to converse with you and uh, um, see how we can just encourage one another so um, we are in a teaching series right now over the the, the letter to the Hebrews. It's, a, it's actually a first century sermon manuscript. And a preacher was just wanting to encourage a beleaguered congregation that was enduring difficulty. And um, uh, the, the preacher's main theme is... You know, no matter what you're facing in life, Jesus is better. Go after him. Go after him. And so we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture this morning that talks about that. How how Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So George Schultz served our nation as Secretary of State. And uh, when he was fulfilling that responsibility, he would often have a farewell meeting with uh, the newly appointed ambassadors uh, before they headed abroad. And they would talk a little bit about uh, their work and uh, just what was happening globally. At the conclusion of their meeting, George uh, Schultz would produce a globe. And Schultz would give it a whirl and ask the diplomat to point out his country. And invariably, the new ambassador would say to Schultz, they would, they would put their finger on the country where they were headed. At which point, George Schultz said, wrong, 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 wrong. Your country is the United States of America. Don't ever forget that. I think there's a sermon in that statement. Yeah, because the Bible often reminds us of our primary homeland, our primary identity, our primary citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. 
Now, we've been studying this sermon to the Hebrews, and that's really the message that the preacher to that congregation, uh, perhaps located in the capital city of the Roman Empire, Rome itself. Here this little house church was gathered, and this preacher is saying, listen, listen, Hebrews eleven sixteen. You are a people who desire a better country, a heavenly country. And God is not ashamed to be called your God because he has prepared for you a city. Hebrews 12, 22 reminds them and us that because of Christ, in Christ, through Christ, by faith in Christ, we have a, a, a city that is nothing other than Mount Zion, the city of the living God. The city that is the heavenly Jerusalem. The city that is the, the, the location of innumerable angels in festal gathering. That's what Hebrews 12.22 says. Innumerable angels in festal gathering. And then in Hebrews 13 verse 14, we're reminded that here, that is in this world, in this life, the life that we can see and taste and feel and touch. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I mean, can you hear Jesus lovingly and directly looking at us in the eye and saying, show me your country. Show me your country. What would it take for us without pause, without hesitation, to say, Clearly and unmistakably, heaven. Heaven is my homeland. What, what does it take to live with decisive allegiance toward the city of God? Church family, it takes faith. Faith. Faith is the objective substance of things hoped for and the subjective conviction of things not seen. So faith is both objective and subjective. It's substantial. You can stand on it. Substance. You can stand on it. And, and because it is firm and immovable and forever, you have this, this emotional subjective sense of conviction that the world cannot know. And we've been studying Hebrews 11 here, and we've been learning the question, uh, what does faith look like? What does faith look like? If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Hebrews chapter 11? And uh, we've been learning that Hebrews 11 is really a family portrait of our spiritual ancestors. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. And here this morning in Hebrews 11, 23 to 28, we're going to see uh, that the faith of Moses, the faith of Moses. Moses was a royal prince of one kingdom when in fact he belonged to another kingdom. And his is a case study of someone who when given the choice between the fleeting versus the forever, man, it was a no-brainer for Moses. It was a no-brainer for Moses because Moses chose the forever. I want to read Hebrews 11, verses 23 to 28, and, and I, want to, I want to 
put a title on this message, The Decisive Allegiance of Faith. The Decisive Allegiance of Faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is the word of the Lord. Moses, this case study of the decisive allegiance of faith. Moses, Moses was the most monumental figure in Judaism, in the history of Judaism. Israel's most prominent prophet, lawgiver, historian, saint, leader. In fact, um, Moses was so prominent that to refer to the first five books of the Hebrew Bible or our Old Testament, you would simply need to say, Moses. Uh, Jesus would often teach saying, what does Moses say? And He's referring to what Moses wrote in the first five books of the Bible. So he's monumental in the history of Judaism. And of course, the original audience was a congregation whose ethnicity was Hebrew. So they connected uh, ethnically and historically and by heritage with Moses, this consummate figure. Listen to Moses' obituary in Deuteronomy 34. Deuteronomy 34, verse 7 and verses 10 through 12. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. What a eulogy. How would you like that written on your tombstone? <laughs> Yet the chief characteristic that the Hebrew preacher points out to the congregation of suffering believers is the characteristic of faith. By faith. Moses was hidden. By faith, Moses refused. By faith, Moses left. And by faith, Moses performed the Passover. And, and each by faith indicates a break from the world 
for God's kingdom. And Moses' life serves as a case study of someone who severed his identity from man's kingdom for God's kingdom. And so, so the preacher is giving us Moses as a case study of someone with enduring faith. And here's the big idea, big idea coming your way. Enduring faith in Christ comes from decisive allegiance to Christ. There it is. Enduring faith in Christ comes from decisive allegiance to Christ. So, so in these verses, the preacher to the congregation uh, showcases three major stages in Moses' life to show that, that faith knows its country and faith sides with Christ and faith pursues Christ. Faith may be in the world, but make no mistake, faith is not of the world. Faith is resolute for the city of God. And let me just even go further. Faith desires and longs for and craves and hungers for all that is of Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we see in these verses. These verses give us three major stages in Moses' life. We have, we have a snapshot of Moses at birth, and then we fast forward 40 years to Moses at 40, and then we fast forward another 40 years to Moses at 80. And each stage demonstrates decisive allegiance that desires Christ, that desires Christ. And so I just want us to walk through these major stages. And, and I just want to make sure that I'm not misunderstood. I want to make sure I communicate clearly about what, what it is uh, my goal is for our time in this passage of Scripture. I try to think, you know, okay, what's going on in your hearts and in your lives as we come in here? We come in for all these different stories. Everybody has a story that they bring into this room. And, and uh, it, it's kind of like we've been out and have, we've been having experiences. It's like we've been to a food court and uh, we've been offered tastes of the world, a, a taste of work life and a taste of, of, of stuff, a taste of, of, of acknowledgement and a, just different tastes. And we bring, we bring that in here and, and my biggest fear is that you will come in here and you will say to yourself, okay, the preacher's job behind this desk here is to, to try to, to convince me to suppress my tastes, to suppress my tastes. And brothers and sisters, that can't be, that, that's the farthest from what I want to try to do here, okay? Here's what I want to try to do. I, I want to try to, I want to try to tell you that, that um, your taste buds are far too easily pleased. That's what I want to try to say. I want to try to say, I want to try to say, whatever you've tasted out there, it's crackers, just crackers. I got some cake for you here. Moist cake, tasty cake, mouth-watering cake, cake that'll make it, let me just get this really clear here, all right? 
when my 34 years old son Benjamin was uh, four years old, um, I took him to I took him to Bob Evans. We had breakfast. I used to take him out for breakfast when they were younger, and so so we went and um, and because it was just Benjamin and me, I ordered him some chocolate milk. Yeah, his mom wasn't with us. Okay, we're not having rice milk this morning, son. We're gonna have the hard stuff. We're gonna have some chocolate milk. He'd never had chocolate milk before in his life, ever, 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 until that day. And when he took a sip, his eyes just—it's like he—it's like he awoke to another world, and he began to levitate. And, uh, and he, then he gave, had this look, had this look, his look on his eyes like, you've been holding out on me. I said, no, your mother has been holding out on you, right, right, right. This is why I didn't tell this illustration in the first service. So anyway, shh, can you keep it, can you keep it down here online throughout the world, you know, so anyway. But he tasted, he had a taste, listen to me, listen to me. My goal here is not to suppress your taste. My, my goal here is to say, You've been having crackers, and I got some cake. Does anybody here want some cake? Anybody want to hear some, some deep, rich chocolate milk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we got here in these verses here today, okay? So let's just take a look at Moses' life, the stages of Moses' life, as, as we witness his decisive allegiance to Christ and, and, and how he was able to taste and see that the Lord is good. Listen to me. That's not just for Moses. It's for us as well. So let's consider Moses at birth. Now in verse 23 it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden. So, so Moses actually, this is actually about Moses' parents. And, and what we learn is that Moses was immersed in a family of decisive faith. So, because at birth, Moses was under the death sentence from Pharaoh. And, and verse 23 refers to Exodus chapter 2. So you can go back and read Exodus chapter 2 to, to get uh, the background information that the congregation of the Hebrews were aware of. And, and what happened was that Moses was under the death sentence from Pharaoh because Pharaoh felt threatened by the presence of God's people in Egypt. And so he enslaved them, and then he sought to exterminate them. And Moses' parents defied Pharaoh. They took their child and they hid him. And why? Because Exodus chapter 2, verse 2 says that they saw that he was a fine child. A fine child. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 uses the word beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, in Acts chapter 7 verse 20, Acts chapter 7 verse 20, when Stephen preaches, uh, uh, he referenced Moses as a baby being, and the verse says, he's beautiful in God's sight. He's beautiful. So he's a fine child. He's beautiful. He's beautiful in God's sight. Now, every parent would say that about their newborn. Of course, of course, of course. But what the meaning is behind that particular reference of 
fine and beautiful is, is the rabbis, the Hebrew rabbis, noted the distinctiveness of Moses' life. In fact, one particular rabbi uh, put it this way. It was as if when Moses was born, the whole house was filled with light. So, so that was the tradition. Moses was a child of destiny. And so Moses' parents acted out of decisive allegiance for God, and they did this by faith. We're not going to obey Pharaoh and turn in our baby. We're, we'll die first. You see, see, Pharaoh's edict was not just against babies, but against the parents who would hide the babies, you see. And so, so they said, look, the fear of Pharaoh will not rule us. That's what faith does, by the way. Faith overrules fear. And by faith, Moses' parents trusted the substance of God's promise for his people. God's timeless word was worth more than Pharaoh's godless law. And Hebrews eleven twenty three speaks of Moses being hidden hidden and that's the reference in exodus 2 where moses hid moses parents hid him in a miniature ark 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 it's the same word as noah's ark and it was it was then sent down the river so the baby three-month-old baby was put into this 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 ark and sent down the river. Can you imagine how heartbreaking, what a heartbreaking level of trust that took for Moses' parents? Because they had no other choice. They had no other choice. And they put that baby in that ark and sent that ark down the river. And, and Moses' parents sent Moses' older sister Miriam uh, to just kind of see how that little ark would do. And so Miriam followed that little ark and you know the story. God provided. God provided. That little ark was guided by the hand of God off the bank of the daughter of Pharaoh. <laughs> and the daughter of Pharaoh sees the child and draws the child out of the water. The, 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 daughter, of, the daughter of Pharaoh, Moshe, the child, Moshe, Moshe, Moses, draws Moses to draw out of the water. Moshe, Moses, to draw out of the water. Pharaoh's daughter says, what a beautiful baby. I want this baby. How can I feed this baby? And suddenly Miriam appears. I can help. I can help. I'll find you a nurse. Oh, okay, I'll pay you. And Miriam goes and gets mom. And mom starts nursing Moses on Pharaoh's payroll. Think about that. That morning, Moses' mother is weeping. I may never see him again. That night, she gets a paycheck for nursing him. That morning, Pharaoh wants Moses dead. That night, the baby Pharaoh wants dead has become an adopted son in Pharaoh's royal household. That morning, the Savior of Israel was laid in a coffin. And that night, he is taken from a watery grave. How does that happen? Faith, the preacher says. Faith 
in the God who is in faith, in the God who has the goods. By faith, they acted without fear of what Pharaoh would do to them had they been found out. And by faith, Moses lived when he should have died. Enduring faith is decisive allegiance to the God who makes a way out of no way. They, they saw that their only option was trusting the unseen God. And they just had, they were at a point, it came to a head, and they just had to trust in the Lord and let that child go. And they did not know what the outcome would be. We read it, we kind of know how the story ends. They did not know at that time. They didn't know. They just had to follow God. They had to do the next wise thing that faith called for the next wise thing what's the next wise thing that you want me to do God now now I don't want to leave this point without making this point and um, so you know it's been a long time since I've given a parenting series right and so so I look at this verse and I mean in verse 23 there's a parenting series in this verse there really is and so I'm going to give you this parenting series in the next five minutes here all right here it is here it is and and it, it comes down to identity identity and this is for every this is for a parent of a four-year-old a parent of a 34-year-old and and here it is I want to suggest from this verse that our main identity as a parent is that of ambassador. Ambassador. We are ambassador parents. Now, what's an ambassador? What's an ambassador? An ambassador is an agent sent on behalf of the sender. That's an ambassador. So an ambassador's role is to faithfully represent the message the methods and the character of the leader who has sent that ambassador. That's an ambassador. So ambassadors are not free to think, speak, or act independently. Everything that the ambassador does, every decision the ambassador makes, every interaction the ambassador has is shaped by just one question. It's one question, and it's this. What is the will and plan of the one who sent me? That's the question. So ambassadors don't represent their own interests or their own perspectives or their own power. Parenting is ambassadorial from beginning to end. It's not based on personal interest, personal need, or cultural trends. We need to see, parents, that we have been put on earth at a particular time in a particular place to do a particular task in the lives of children. And what is that? The will of God. The will of God. As said of Jesus in Hebrews 10, 7. I have come to do your will, O God. I mean, is that not the aim that every parent wants to strive for the child that God has put under their care? That that child would say, I have come to do your will, Oh, God. And, and so, so here's what this means at a street level. At a street level is this. Parenting is not first about what we want for our children or from our children, but about what God in grace has planned to do through us in our children. 
And that takes faith. That takes faith. Ambassador parenting takes faith. The opposite of ambassador parenting is owner parenting. Owner parenting. Ownership parenting says this. Ownership parenting says, these kids are mine and I'll parent them as I please. Now, no parent says it that tersely. But that tends to be the perspective that many fall into because, you know, life kind of gets condensed into let's do this and then this and then this and this and this and these little mundane moments of life and then pretty soon that defaults to what I want done in these little mundane moments and life is lived in the mundane it just truly is and uh, and ownership parenting falls into the trap of of parents want, wanting something for their children and from their children. And ownership parenting is, is, is driven by what we want our children to be and what we want our children to give us in return. And so owner parents tend to get their identity and meaning and purpose and inner sense of well-being from their children. Ambassador parents get their identity and purpose from the one whom they represent, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, be, it's because of him they are freed from coming to their children, hoping that they will get from them what no child is capable of giving. Owner parents think that it's their job to turn their children into something because they're, they're theirs. Ambassador parents understand that they have absolutely no power to change their children, and that without God's grace and wisdom, they wouldn't even know what's best for their children. Owner parents are motivated by a vision of what they want their children to be. Ambassador parents are motivated by what God's grace could cause their children to be. You see the difference? You see the difference? Owner parents, owner parents unwittingly or otherwise turn their children into trophies held high and paraded about to show the world what brilliant parents they are. Ambassador parents know that they're not brilliant at all and they know that, that the children are not their trophies. Rather, the children are Christ's trophies. And Christ does the work. Christ gets the glory, and we're just glad to, get to play our part. Owner parents are absolutely exhausted because they think that the task of parenting is all on them. Ambassador parents have learned to trust the God who makes a way out of no way. And as a result, they're able to taste and see that the Lord is good, and as they nourish themselves on the cake of Christ over, the, over just the, the, the stale bread of Pharaoh, they're able to share that with their children. Hmm. And that takes us to Moses at 40 years of age. And that's in verses 24 to 27 of Hebrews chapter 11. These verses come from Exodus chapter 2 as well. 
Moses had been adopted by Pharaoh and he'd been raised by Hebrew parents. So he kind of lived in two worlds. And when grown, when grown, he saw the oppression of Israel and it led to violence. And one day, one day Moses killed an Egyptian whom he saw beating a Hebrew. And then he buried the body. Nobody will find out. Well, someone did find out. You read the story. Now, you know, I could be wrong in this, but I think Moses could have talked his way out of those murder charges. I really do. I mean, think about it. He was a prince. He could have used Egyptian privilege as immunity. But there and then he made a decisive choice. At the height of power, he gave it all up. He surrendered it. And the text says that Moses refused the title. You see that? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused that title. He refused the pleasures. He refused the treasures. He abdicated Egyptian privilege because he saw firsthand that his privilege was being paid for by by oppressing the Hebrews. He said, I'm not going to live like this anymore. So he chose against Pharaoh. But, But it's not enough to just choose against. He chose for. Look. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Verse 26 says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. How did he do that? By faith, church. So so faith is not just belief in your head. It's an allegiance of the heart. And Moses' faith would affect his calendar, his bank account, and his lifestyle because he rejected being called son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected that. That means he had to turn in his laptop. He had to turn in Pharaoh's credit cards. He had to turn in the condo on the Nile with the walk-in closet and room service. He had to turn in the keys to the chariot. He had to turn all that in. Moses did. Why? Faith seeks God's eternal rewards over Pharaoh's fleeting pleasures. That's why. Now, now, please hear me. Please hear me. Moses did not abdicate because he learned to suppress his pleasures. That's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. He abdicated for better pleasures. Verse 26 says, he considered, he considered. That word is an accounting term. It means to consider, to calculate. He calculated there's more joy, more happiness, more pleasure in a life that pursues God and helps others than a life devoted to narcissistic comfort. Moses assessed the value of Egypt's visible fleeting treasures against God's unseen eternal reward. And for Moses, it was a no-brainer. He chose God. How did he do that? By faith. Faith crunches the numbers and sees the reproach of Christ as priceless. Now, don't you find it interesting that the Hebrew preacher says he considered the reproach of Christ? So how does someone who lived before Christ considered the reproach of Christ? And here's what I think that means. The reproach of Christ could be understood as this phrase, the kind of reproach 
that was experienced by Christ. The kind of reproach that was experienced by Christ. That is to say, whenever someone suffers to embrace God's people, whenever someone endures in fleeing sin, whenever someone chooses that which is forever over that which is fleeting, that person in that act, as he or she looks to Jesus Christ and the reward that Jesus Christ purchased, that person is seeking satisfaction in a better reward. When someone seeks cake over stale crackers see that's 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 seeking christ see and, and so so faith doesn't waste calories on junk rewards faith craves god's power god's beauty i want to get you to crave more crave deeper crave better crave god's beauty crave god's excellence Crave God's word more than anything else that the world can offer. I want us to be able to be a congregation that can say with Psalm 34.10, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Lack no good thing. And that's what the preacher to the congregation in the Hebrews is saying. And, 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 and if you go back to chapter 10, Verse 34, you'll see how the preacher's just tying it all together. Because in Hebrews 10, 34, the preacher says, you know, remember, you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So, so, so some in that house church had been incarcerated and other members then had a choice to make. Do we hide or do we show love by visiting them in prison at the risk of losing our homes? Because, you know, if they went after those who are now in prison and we go see them, then they're going to come after us. And, and the scripture says that their joy in God overflowed in love. And they did the math. They looked at their possessions. They looked at their homes. They, they assessed the value of their dining room sets and their fine china and their vintage vases that they had inherited from, from great-grandma. And they recited Psalm 63:3. Your steadfast love is better than life. And they reasoned what we have in heaven is better than this. We have a possession in heaven that is longer lasting than any of this. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And they went with Jesus into the jail. And their possessions were plundered. But, but what does it say in Hebrews 10, 34? What, how do they emotionally feel as they came back from prison and saw that their stuff was gone? What does it say? It says they felt joy because they knew where their treasure was. They knew that whatever was taken and plundered, they couldn't take this joy in Jesus. They couldn't. Hmm. No, they didn't sacrifice out of some stoic sense of duty. They glutted themselves on the love of God in Christ. That's what they did. Decisive allegiance does that. Wow. Well, Moses turned 80 here in our last verse. 
Hebrews 11, 28. Moses fled Egypt to the Midianite wilderness after he killed that Egyptian. And, and the famed prince of Egypt became, you know, an unknown, anonymous shepherd, rancher, family man for four decades. And my guess is, is that, you know, when Moses turned 78, he thought, well, this is it. This is my life. You know, I'm going to die a shepherd. I am. And then one day when he was 80 years of age, he saw a burning bush. <laughs> and Moses had no idea what God had in store for the last 40 years of his life. Listen to me. You may be collecting your Social Security check, but, but God isn't done with you. And God took Moses. But, you know, God didn't, God didn't use Moses when he was 40 because you know, Moses was a hothead, right? But 40 years in the Midianite wilderness tempered him and God used him at 80 to deliver Israel. And after confronting Pharaoh with nine plagues, Hebrews eleven twenty eight 28 says, By faith, Moses performed the Passover. Now, now, if you don't believe in sin or evil, then what I'm about to say won't make sense. But if you do, then you need to reckon with the question of how is evil atoned for? How is sin forgiven well, in Exodus chapter 12, and that's verse 28, 11, Hebrews eleven twenty-eight refers to Exodus chapter 12. God had said to Pharaoh, because of your sin of self-worship, I am going to require the life of every firstborn son or the life of a substitute lamb. Egyptian or Hebrew, no distinction. None were exempt because God does not show partiality. God said, by my word, I will come and I will judge sin tonight. Now, if you want your firstborn son to pay, do nothing. But if you want your firstborn to live, then you paint the blood of the lamb over the doorposts, and I will pass over that house. And the next morning, in every house, Egypt or Israel, there was either a dead person or a dead lamb. And Moses' decisive faith prepared him to help others, you see. He'd spent the last third of his life shepherding, pastoring, pastoring the people of promise. God used Moses and shaped him. Faith shaped him and gave him such a taste for cake, for God, for the city of God, that then Moses now was able to, to be a distributor of God's grace and a distributor of God's truth. And Moses now was used by God. At 40, Moses was a killer, but at 80, Moses became an ambassador sent by God to rescue God's people. Hasn't God sent us because of Christ in and through us to go out into the world as his ambassadors? Where's your country? Where's your country? You know, the more I see the life of Moses, the more I've come to the conclusion that Moses' life is a movie trailer for Christ. Moses' life follows a pattern of death and resurrection that is later repeated by someone greater than himself because centuries after Moses, the New Testament prophet John the Baptist spoke these words to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Father's firstborn Son, who is also the Lamb of God. 
And on the night before his own death, Jesus takes the Passover meal and renames it the Lord's Supper. You see, if the blood of the Lamb in Moses' day kept people alive before such devastating judgment, how much more will the blood of Jesus Christ keep us today? Christ's blood has been applied not on our doorposts, but on our hearts, in our souls. Because even now the destroyer Satan moves in the depth of night, seeking whom he may devour. But we are in Christ, protected by Christ, armed and secured by the sacrifice of Christ. We are guarded by the power of Jesus. And since Jesus has brought us out of Egypt and out of darkness and out of idolatry, we follow him into the land of promise. And that takes faith. And that's the great message of this sermon to the Hebrews, that the Son of God put on flesh, and he became a little lower than the angels, so that through his suffering and death and burial, and by his resurrection and ascension and the sending of his Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives, he's taking us, our great shepherd is leading us to the city God has prepared So everything we see right now, church family, everything we see right now is fleeting. But God's word and God's promises and God's kingdom are forever. I believe that. And that takes faith. Enduring faith in Christ comes from decisive loyalty to Christ. Oh, church, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen?